Hey everybody, welcome to the first ever episode of the Desuckify Work podcast. As you can probably guess from the title, this podcast is all about finding ways to make work not suck. And to do that, I'm going to be having conversations with people who are expert level desuckifiers, people who have already found a way to crack the code and make a difference. I'm super excited to dive into this project, and I'm really excited that our first guest is Jocelyn Brady a brain coach who helps people create better stories about their lives and their work. He's awesome. And today we touch on a number of interesting topics, from the current state of work on the suck meter to the value of play in the workplace and how play can make just about everything better. We also briefly touch on serial killers, so if you're a true crime nut, we may have something here for you too. So without further ado, welcome to the Desuckify Work Podcast. Here we are. Welcome, Jocelyn, to the Desuckify Work podcast. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to desuckify with you. <laughs> yeah, first episode ever. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, fun. Uh, Suki has joined us. You might hear some meow in the background. Oh, that's good. That will uh, that will add to the ambience. I'm excited about that. I'm sure one of my cats may may jump in as well. Um. Let's just start by by asking, you know, who who's Jocelyn? What's your story? Oh, <laughs> oh uh, yeah, the, the no big deal question. Um, yeah. So I, I know this sounds, well, I'm just going to do it. I was born in Canada. I will start back then. I was born okay. near an Arctic tundra, oh, raised nice. on an active volcano. Okay. Um, and very finicky with temperature, so... And, um, and I, yeah, I grew up in a, in a really incredibly storytelling rich culture with my dad, who was a brilliant storyteller across all these mediums. You mm -hmm. know, he was a guitar player. He grew up playing with the Beach Boys and the Righteous Brothers, you know, the, oh, oh. my love. Um, yeah. and yeah, so I've been, I've been obsessed with language and words and stories um, for as long as I can remember. And then I really got into how that works in the brain, how the brain works when my dad had a stroke and mm. I was in my early twenties, he was 59, which is pretty young for, for that. Mm -hmm. um, and when he had, you know, lost his ability to speak, I wanted to learn everything that was going on. Like what happened, what mm. broke, can it repair? Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, um, it can. That's why I learned about neuroplasticity in adulthood um, and how, you know, he did regain his ability to speak and, and tell dad jokes and then still not get to the ends of the, the juicy parts of the stories with his line. I'll tell you when you're older. Uh -huh. um, I'm, I'm 41 now, so <laughs> I don't know how much older I need to get. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I started a writing consultancy in 2008 and that grew, um, I started consulting brands on their brand voice and messaging. Um, and then that turned into training teams on storytelling and brand voice copywriting, mm -hmm. um, which I got, I loved. And then I got incredibly bored with, cause I no longer really, I was getting more and more intrigued by brain stuff over the years. And I was like, what is happening in people's brains when they learn to um, tell stories or when they actually get along at work or they're like, Hey, wow, everyone is creative. Even me. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and I leaned more heavily in that direction, um, especially with the help of COVID when all of my brand contracts vanished. And I was like, well, I guess I'm stepping into this completely. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So that's what I focus on more these days. Still workshops, but um, mostly focus. I still do storytelling workshops. They'll always be a love of mine. Mm-hmm. But also just like how to get people to feel more creative and collaborative at work and beyond. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a pretty big task. I think, uh, you know, it brings me to the question, you know, you know, part of the reason this podcast exists and why I've been focused on desuckifying work is that there seems to be some energy around work. That's just not quite right. You know, like, I think it's like, we look at the way work is and we think, yeah, some people are being productive. Some people are getting stuff done, but people are, you know, miserable at times at work, or they just feel like they can't have any influence or they feel like their sort of true self isn't able to show up at work. So they have to adopt some other personality. Um, what's, what's your take on the current state of work right now? Yeah, it's not good. Um, by and large, I think we, you know, we are incredibly adaptable species and otherwise we wouldn't be here. But mm-hmm. I think we see it everywhere, right? And COVID really jostled something loose mm-hmm. and like from a kind of a stupor, right? That like people, mm-hmm. even if they kind of knew this is this doesn't feel right, it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everything had to stop. And therefore we had to actually listen and look around and say, you know, like we saw how many people changed careers or mm-hmm. um, decided wait a minute, I actually like spending time with my family and going out in nature and taking breaks and doing things that are biologically aligned to how humanity freaking works. Weird. <laughs> what a crazy um, And And yet there's this stalwart culture on the top. Like the leaders don't necessarily love that because to them it looks like productivity is on the decline. They can't micromanage as much. It can make people nervous if they don't see people actively working the way that they have been, um, that the story in their brain has told them. If you're not, you know, sweating eight hours a day, you're not actually working kind of mentality. Um, um, And stress and burnout, all-time highs. Um, All of these, you know, signs of, uh, what what was it? Like quiet quitting to like, yeah, it's like kind of evolving. And then, yeah. yeah. And then these like corporate owned news media are like, well, uh, actually, this is like the thing I sent you this morning. He's like, actually, um, spending time in nature or with your family or like enjoying your life isn't good for your long term career prospects. It's like, what <laughs> are you trying? Well, there's, there's, you know, as, as if that's not within somebody's control. Right. As if your long term career prospects are off in some machine being handled by some anti nature bot, as opposed to leaders who actually have control <laughs> over saying, you know what? I want you to go out in nature because that will make you a, a more, a better human. And I want better humans showing up to work because that's where all the interesting creative ideas will come that will solve the big ass problems we have in front of us as a, as a society. Right. Yeah. And I think it takes like kind of, feels unfortunate to say this, but I do think it takes courage for today, most of today's leadership to be able to stand up and say that, like mm-hmm. to actually genuinely mean, uh, we value humanity and what humans need to feel mm-hmm. c- 
connected and to feel fulfilled because there's no bottom line equivalent of that. And everything, mm -hmm. you know, in a highly corporate culture with fiduciary responsibilities and corporate returns and ROI, it's a mm -hmm. difficult thing to, well, they're, they feel better. They actually have meaning in their lives. Um, mm -hmm. They're doing things that they won't, that uh, when all of us, when, when all of us die, you know, it's like the number one regrets, right? Are I, I wish I had been true to myself and not lived to somebody's expectations. I wish I had spent mm -hmm. time with my friends. I mm -hmm. wish I had laughed and been silly and played. I mm -hmm. wish I had gotten off the treadmill of work. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's yeah, it just sounds kind of unfortunate to say that. But yeah, it does take some courage for a leader to stand up and say, I'm going to value the things that are really hard, if not impossible to measure. Because mm -hmm. who's going to invest in that company, right? If they're mm -hmm. like, but I need, but what about my retirement? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough question and I don't think it's an easy answer, but I think it's easy. It's easy for people to fall back on what they've known, which is ROI measure what we've always measured, do things like we've always done, because at least I know that. And at least I know that whoever I might report into, whether it's my boss or shareholders, they have a set of expectations. So yeah, it does take some courage to kind of go, we want to try something new that yeah, I, we, I believe it will be successful, meaning because when people are happy and people are excited and they're playing and they're having fun, they're probably going to do some cool stuff, right? Like that's going to happen, but it's going to take a little while to figure out where that leads, right? And so, yeah, there's a certain amount of courage. I mean, you know, it, it, it brings me to a little bit of like, you know, the way you're focusing on some of this stuff and the work that you do. I mean, you know, you talked about neuroscience, you know, I, I know you use the term brain stories, which I like that term because I think, you know, we're familiar with the idea of storytelling, but we don't always connect it to sort of that neuroscience side of brain stories. So what, what are brain stories? Yeah, I think it, it's everything that exists with, it's all the stories within the narratives, the connections that you've made based on like millions of bits of input from your entire life that shape your beliefs and therefore your perceptions and therefore your behaviors. So, and a lot of us have very similar, I call brain stories, like um, the things that aren't helpful in making change. You know, it's like the brain is wired to help you not die. I remember hearing mm -hmm. that from Bo Lotto, who's a neuroscientist. I was like, wait, okay. I've heard it like it's wired to help you live. Like, no, it's wired to help you not die, right? Mm -hmm. Avoid death. Yeah. And, and that's like the threat response, the avoidance of things that are new and uncomfortable, even if ultimately they do make us happier and feel more, more fulfilled uh, and accomplish the things that we aspire to. Mm -hmm. It's scary. So the default response is no, avoid that. So then you have these stories because stories help us make sense of the world, right? So those stories mm -hmm. will generate a narrative that helps you make sense of why you are not doing a thing mm -hmm. or to shame you which is also counterproductive. And they can sound like, well, that idea is, is really stupid and that's really impractical and everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. And um, so therefore I should just keep chugging along or I'll wait another five or 10 years and do this thing that I cannot stand because I need to save X dollars in my retirement or whatever the excuse is that mm. that, that story is, you know? Yeah, I do. I've, I've had those stories. I still have them. You know, I think, yeah. um, 
you know, it's why it takes time to make certain decisions like career changes and all that stuff. It's like, it is comfortable to stay with what we know, even if that is an uncomfortable place, you know, the, yeah, comfortably miserable. Yeah. I mean, it's like the known, uh, misery is sometimes better than the unknown. God knows what, right. You know, cause mm -hmm. especially if you're thinking or wired to avoid death, it's like, even if you, you use death as just a metaphor for negativity and scary stuff, it's like anything that's out there and unknown is effectively death to our brain. It sounds like, and therefore when we start stepping into it, it's like, get, get away. Right. Mm -hmm. And then stories happen. And I, and those stories become true, quote unquote, right? And and it's interesting. You you use this phrase that I really like. I've seen it in some of the stuff you've done on LinkedIn or some of your videos. It's uh, I think I think I'm getting this right. We are we are not thinking creatures who happen to feel. We're feeling creatures who happen to think. And I feel like this kind of connects to this, right? Where the emotions are what drive us, and then we build a story on top of it. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's a uh, a borrowed quote from Jill Bolt Taylor. She's a neuroscientist okay. who wrote about her own experience having a stroke. She did a TED talk on it, um, My Stroke mm -hmm. of Insight. And mm -hmm. it's one of my favorites. I think it's super powerful, especially when you, I use it in keynote talks a lot at, at corporate offices, because it's like when you say, a neuroscientist said this, so mm -hmm. <laughs> she's uh -huh. pretty smart. Absolutely. Um, you know, and yeah, and I think, um, I think, see, there we go. That's <laughs> like the the word we use most often being talking about think, even talking about thinking and talking about more cognitive realms are more comfortable for us because mm -hmm. we don't feel as judged and we don't feel as exposed. But that's mm -hmm. the the reality is everything. We are feeling creatures. Everything we do, every creature on earth is a feeling creature. And if we weren't, we would be dead, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we reach toward the the sunshine and the, like we sense things and those senses uh guide and direct us and then our mind and cognition and stories uh make sense of that sense making mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. god it, it it's a wonder why we're always so exhausted all the time because we have this whole elaborate brain process going on just to try to make <laughs> what's in front of us and it you know, it, it sort of begs the question for me because it's like, okay, I can, I can wrap my, my brain around that concept, but then I go, well, what, what do we do? Like knowing that this is true, that we're, we're feeling creatures. We, we create stories on top of that. What can we do to change our stories so that that work suddenly doesn't look like a thing we just have to plot along with every day to make it to retirement or whatever that thing is and starts to become like a way of genuinely like adding to our life, expressing ourselves, connecting with people, building things that are interesting and of value. Like, how do we, how do we make that turn? I think, you know, first of all, it's awareness of that and awareness that of the reality that you mm -hmm. are a feeling creature mm -hmm. um, and embracing that. And then having again, the courage to step up and be a leader at work and say that this is, this is the truth of our nature. Mm. So, how can we be, how can we create psychological safety enough so that we acknowledge that reality? We are feeling mm -hmm. creatures. It doesn't mean you have to have crying circles at work, maybe if you want to, right? Mm -hmm. But just to say that when we acknowledge that we have feelings, we also gain so much in that. So there's that term emotional granularity, mm -hmm. which is simply 
um, it's like having a vocabulary. So you're more accurately identifying and able to label and speak about the feelings you are experiencing. And therefore, you can have more emotional regulation and, you know, move through things and allow them to move through you. It's so sort of like that whole say, that saying, what we resist persists. Mm -hmm. If you block it out or you pretend it's not there, it just gets stronger and it manifests in other ways, often in, wow. in physical illness. Wow. So I think that's the first step. Just like recognize that this is the truth. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can start to recognize the stories that come up because those stories are 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 signals that, um, you know, the feelings themselves are signals. And then the stories are like, wait a minute, this story is saying I'm a loser because I said something that isn't popular. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just a story. And mm-hmm. it's just a story. Also, it's a story, one of the most powerful forces on Earth. So mm-hmm. now it's up to you to decide, is this a story that is going to be of service right in my biology is it going to make me sick is it going to make others around me um unhealthy in some ways going to kind of cause rifts in my relationships Mm -hmm. um and then how do i reframe and rephrase and explore new alternatives and that's Mm -hmm. where you have to be willing to step into the discomfort and say this is going to feel uncomfortable and my brain is going to set off alerts. So just acknowledging that and say, okay, I'm just going to take one step forward and say, um, in that example, I'm a loser because I said something different. It's like, I am going to try even the grammatical opposite. I'm a winner because I said something different or I'm not a loser because, you know, it's just like playing with new alternatives and then acting in alignment with those new alternatives and testing them out to prove to your brain that this new new reality you're creating um, is true and more aligned to what you want. Hmm. They use that word play and I know, I know that that's a part of your, your work is, is helping people to, to connect to play in the workplace. And I think there's a couple of interesting things about that. One, there's a lot of interesting data to, to use the sort of stuff that I think resonates in the world of business that supports that play is actually quite beneficial at work. But I also started to think, as you talked about playing with the language and that, can play be the source or one of the main catalysts for for starting to make these changes in our brains so that we do start to live the way we want to live and, and have work be be truly connected and meaningful to us? I mean, 100,000 million percent, you can quote, that's ROI you can quote. Um, yeah, I think that, that <laughs> it's, I, my, in my personal experience, you know, when I was talking about, I, I was first doing brand consulting and when mm-hmm. I started, there was no video conferencing calls, even when mm-hmm. they started with like WebEx, nobody mm-hmm. got on camera. It was yeah. unheard of until COVID mm-hmm. now. And there's all sorts of pros and cons to that now, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, I was asked to show up in person and lead these workshops and I, on the one hand was excited because I'm stepping up and and growing and I get to share this love I have of story and language with people and to Mm -hmm. help them see that spark in themselves. Like that Mm -hmm. sounded so delightful. On the other hand, public speaking was, was my enemy number one Mm -hmm. um, for me. I I hated it so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first F I got in school was in the fifth grade when I refused to share, I, we were learning about autobiographies and I was mm-hmm. so into, it's like, yes, we got to write stories. I'm going to write, I'm going to write the best story I've ever written. 
mm-hmm. and and I just poured my heart into it. Part two of the assignment. Now read it in front of the class. <laughs> so, oh, <geez>. and <laughs> I sat there frozen, just deliberating. You know, at that point, I kind of identified my my worth on how other people judged me. So I was really conscientious of being a straight A student because that meant I was good. Mm-hmm. And so I was grappling with that and my love of writing and storytelling. And then this other, you know, the de- the demon that was like, um, it, you can't speak in front of people. Like, you don't know how to do that. Everyone's going to see you shake and turn red um, and be an, an, an idiot. And they're going to hate you and all, all those brain stories. Mm-hmm. So that I pushed away and mm-hmm. got stronger and louder. And, you know, because I was no longer able to join conference calls and put myself on mute to to collect my breathing because I was even afraid to speak up on a call, mm. uh, showing up in person, I got so sick over and over. I was just nervous wreck. Um, my hair was falling out. I got this like flare-ups of eczema really bad. Uh, migraines were going insane. And um, the, the kicker is the really severe case of hemorrhoids so um literal brain stories literal pain in the ass yeah god and that's when i was like okay um this aspiration i have is important to me i do Mm want to be better at this Mm -hmm. um but how do i how do i how do i move through this and and also i self-employed and i need to make a living so i have to say yes (laughs) um i uh thought how do I face this thing, right? The scariest yeah. thing I can imagine is speaking in front of people, not knowing what to say mm-hmm. or saying my own stories, using my own voice. <clears throat> and um, so I signed up for a night of improv mm. comedy and immediately wow. regretted that. Uh-huh. Um, tried to think of excuses to get out of it. Eventually went and I did it and I got through the night. And not only did I get through the night, time just flew by. I had so much fun. Mm. I was playing. Right. And, and I had like had this aha that turned into four years of performance that turned into me starting a stand up comedy storytelling show. Right. This talent, amazing talent who went on to Conan and Colbert and Comedy Central. So inspiring Mm. having these people. And, and that like between seeing what happened with my dad, and he also was very playful in his approach to learning how to speak again. And Mm. then my personal experience was, was like, Surely there's this, I'm onto something. This play is the unlock. Mm. And that's what all of the smart people I've spoken to, Andrew Huberman is a big proponent of play, nice. Huberman Lab. Mm-hmm. He says play is the portal to neuroplasticity. Mm. Um, there's a guy named Charles Lim who studies um, improv on the brain. He's actually looking at the fMRI scans. And oh, there's been cool. tremendous evidence of improv itself helping teenagers over um, complex trauma, anxiety, mm. depression, helping elderly and people who have um, dementia uh, have oh. fewer fits and being able to sleep and relax more. Mm. Um, and and then, you know, one of my favorites, Stuart Brown, who got into play science, the study of play, mm-hmm. because he was looking at um, mass murderers. And he identified after interviewing hundreds and then later thousands of these of these people, that was his original field of study, uh, he, he saw one commonality. That was all of these people lacked play. Hmm. So 
if you don't want to be a mass murderer, you want to have more fun, you want to unlock um, what you are most capable of on the positive end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. play is, is, the, is the portal. Wow. That, I mean, that's, that's amazing to me. I mean, I had heard some of those data points, but obviously the serial killer one is just wow to me. I don't even, can't even quite wrap my head around that yet, but it's like, it's so interesting because I think intuitively we all know that when we have fun, like life gets easier, like things sort of move through us more easily. Um, I know in my experience, I've worked in advertising for years, like the best work I ever did was when me and my work partner were just like BSing about stupid stuff and laughing and having fun. And then suddenly these ideas magically appeared in front of us. Right. But yet when you talk to so many people who are, who are running companies, that's like terrifying, right? To walk by somebody's desk and see people having fun. The immediate signal is what are they doing? Get back to work. Like, which is insane, right? Because it's like, surely they've they've you've you've had that experience and it's almost like something happens when we are placed into a role of responsibility for other people that even if we've recognized that play has maybe worked for us we we feel like we have to sort of step into this story of what it means to be a leader and that to be a leader means to sort of control you know instead of actually saying no like let's give people the gift of, of leaning into the stuff that actually makes them better things like play. Um, and I just, you know, it's, it's like, how do we, well, I'll ask you because I think you're doing it. How do you walk into some of these companies you've talked to, you've worked with. And I know I, I, you know, I was, I was checking out your site that I think it's been updated. It looks awesome by the way. Um, thank you. And, and I saw some of these great quotes from CMOs and CEOs, as well as like actors and artists and this whole range. But when you think of CMOs and CEOs, you think of that mindset of like, play, well, bad, bad. I don't, I won't, you know, how are you helping those folks rethink their own stories so that they kind of understand the value of things like play and having fun and being more truly ourselves at work? How does that work? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, Every person I've worked with, and I think this is universally true, I, I suspect it is, unless maybe they are a psychopath, um, which is a very small percentage of sure. people, mm-hmm. although proportionately higher in, in leadership. I um, know, I know. They, uh, they, are, they are naturally very playful. They, and then when they go home, when they're not having to put on the mask at work, mm-hmm. um, they, and they're so thirsty for it because they know deep down this it is the key. This is what we need more of. This is the ultimate co- portal to connection and more creativity and solving problems and getting through difficult situations, right? So it's just tapping into that that thing that they already know. And through storytelling, right? You tell a sto- when I tell my own story or ta- telling stories about other people who've, who've um, overcome tremendous obstacles or people in leadership positions, who have used elements of this. So it's like one of the the good, uh, the um, is it uh, Lou Gerstner, who is the mm-hmm. CEO of IBM in the 80s. So like That's IBM exactly. was top of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, and then it was all of a sudden untenable and they were thinking about splitting apart the company. It was on the brink of bankruptcy. And mm-hmm. like, how did this happen? 
And that's when the new new CEO came in. He had a background in um, management consulting and advertising, I think. Mm. And so he had a very different perspective. And he came in and he instituted, he's like, hey, we need to be more focused on the humans that we are serving. We need to be customer centric. And how mm. do we do that? Um, through joy and connection. And he used the words um, team play and maximizing infectious enthusiasm because it's over oh, wow. it. And yeah, yeah. But... just another way of saying <clears throat> um, joy, connection, play. And that mm-hmm. doesn't, it's like, I think what leaders can be afraid of is it's like, well, what about work and ROI and productivity? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, they are not mutually exclusive. Right. Um, things we all know, life will be filled with challenges. Work will be filled with challenges. You cannot deny that. There's no pushing it away. It's just going to happen. So if you can bring in this joy and connection to the work that you're doing and this playfulness in getting through it, everybody's going to be better off. So mm-hmm. that's part of it is just demonstrating it through stories and then having people do things that are playful, like easing into it sometimes, mm-hmm. do improv games, I'm tricking mm-hmm. people into improv games. And then they're like, oh my God, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> you um, just did improv. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, it, it is so interesting how how trained we are <clears throat> in corporate settings in particular, but probably any work setting to a degree, to 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 not think we can take that mask off, you know, to think that there is some mask. And I, I don't know where we get that from, but I'm sure it's way back in the evolutionary story that, it, you know, again, coming back to that fear of dying and that avoidance of death comes full circle again. Um but I think, you know, it, it made me laugh a little. What was that phrase you used? Uh, maximizing infectious. Um, enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. I just could picture like being on a conference call and going like, how is our MIE doing this week? Like totally <laughs> it and like making it a buzz term, like, like corporate, like loves to do. Um, it would be kind of funny if there was a measurement for that, that, that you could create. Um give give the comfort of the measurement um even if it's a totally <laughs> made up thing yeah yeah and there's all there's all kinds of stories like that where they, there was um uh a medical institution was it a hospital some, something in the medical field and this was i believe around during covid times or right before it and they did things like they were noticing they had to make a tremendous cuts so uh you know what what's the what's the buzz what's the uh, corporate word for that redundancies oh, redundancies um, yeah 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 um efficiency management or whatever uh-huh. Uh-huh. marketplace efficiency yeah. uh and and they're like okay well we're also going to focus on well-being at work and happiness and connection and one of them had um it was like choose your own adventure of uh bringing in optimism and they had uh, one group decided to bring in um, monarch butterfly or caterpillars, mm. and and then release them when they turn into monarch butterflies. And mm-hmm. that's just like this one tiny element that I think of as play, right? You're just like mm-hmm. paying attention to this creature, and then and then when it releases, you have this. You're filled with awe and mm-hmm. just this, you know, um, appreciation of. The natural world and then it's also a, a good catalyst for conversation around what does growth and transformation mean mm-hmm. and that that that's like those little things you can bring into the it doesn't mean you have to 
you know, get rid of all of the measurements or all of the, you know, difficult, the hard things are, it's not all going to be fun and play all the time, but that's why Mm. it is so important to bring it in. Yeah. No, I mean, that totally makes sense to me. It's like, just from my own experience, it's like, I know there's times when I put my head down and I just did work, but a lot of times that work, it's informed by the fact that you were able to have some fun and get to some interesting ideas and thoughts that it's like, okay, now I'm going to sort of put the the serious hat on and, and like type some things and write some things and submit some stuff and do the businessy stuff. And I think there is that balance of like encouraging play and, you know, you use the word awe, which I love and things like wonder and curiosity. Um, those those words are the, the those are the mind spaces I feel like we want people to be in more so that whatever the thing is we're making or producing or putting out into the market is probably going to be better. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I don't know if there's an easy way to sort of translate X amount of time of play equals ROI, but it's easy to imagine that more people playing, having fun, being curious, experiencing awe, and then bearing the fruits of whatever that is, is going to have positive results. Like it, it's almost hard to imagine that it wouldn't, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's really like exciting. And I'm, I love the fact that you're focusing on that. Um, and it makes me wonder, you know, we talked up front about the state of work and it was like, I think you said, it's not good or not great. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I think I said something similar, like, you know, people are struggling um, but are, are you optimistic about the state of work and where it can go? Yeah, I think first of all, conversations like this are happening mm-hmm. and I see them happening more and more. We have this younger generation who predominantly, um, is sick of the bullshit and is not, uh, so easily swayed. I think we grew up, um, we're not that far apart in age. I don't think but we grew up in an era where. You know, it's like, especially in the, in especially in the nineties, right. There's like a decade of kind of excess and we mm-hmm. still had relatively few channels. So everyone's tuning into mostly the same story in this culture mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, and what do we see? We see like, well, you need to have nice things. Everybody should this keeping up with the Joneses is a sort of this mm-hmm. like strange evolution from the fifties till then. That became achievement oriented to what end to look good to mm-hmm. appear successful and all that and so we were more of um marketers dreams and mm-hmm. we bought into it and i think this younger generation it's like y'all are crazy this yeah. isn't working they're talking yeah. about mental health they're talking about um enjoying their lives more um mm-hmm. connecting with other people they're not putting up with the, they're not scared the same mm-hmm. way that I think we were of getting fired. And it's like, whatever, I'm going to make my own adventure then. Mm-hmm. And so I see a lot of hope and optimism um, with if those people, those people are our emerging leaders and I'd like to mm-hmm. see them continue to pave the way for the rest of us, you know, and for the rest of us to, to catch up with what they intuitively know to be true. Yeah. Um, so they didn't have to buy into that mirage. I like that. I mean, I think, I think it does connect a little bit, like you said, to the the limited stories we were exposed to. And I love the fact that you think I'm pretty close in age to you because I'm <laughs> 12 years older. I think you said you were 40. Uh, yeah. But that's close enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, but yeah, we had a fairly myopic story, 
it was, it was, this is how you do it. Yeah. You got to kind of chase these things. This is what success looks like. And because we're now exposed to so many different stories through so many different channels, I do think kids are kind of like, I, I like that story, you know, like mm-hmm. I like this one or yeah, like you said, th- it's the cost of entry to creating your own thing has never been lower because of all the tools in front of us. A lot of young people are going, I'm going to make my own thing. I'm going to just yeah. do this. And I think the power of that to both influence the future, but also like you said, affect those of us who are looking and going, yeah, you know, like I can do that too. And I don't have to lead the same way I thought I had to lead because um, they're onto something like that's a lot of value. I mean, I think that's one of the, 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 the myths sometimes is that, that language, that learning can only sort of flow from, from those of us who've been through stuff to those of us who are younger. And it's like, it's best when it's flowing in both directions. Right. Uh, And there's so much there. Um, that I think I, I share your optimism. I, I think, um, like you said, more people are having these kinds of conversations and more people are seeing that we can create better stories around our lives. And we, I think people are starting to recognize that work is not this distinct thing. It is our life. Like however many hours a day we work, that's still our life. And I think we used to be able to flip this switch and somehow imagine it wasn't. And I think that's what a lot of the younger generation is recognizing. It's like, this whole thing is my life, including the time when I'm working. Why shouldn't it not suck? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think because we work in more, uh, more, most of us, or maybe not most of us, but quite a lot of us now proportionately uh, work in our heads, Mm. right? A lot of the work is, is thinking work, cognitive work and, um, and then we, it's not, if you, if you're going to a thing, you're making a widget or you're going out and you're like doing something more physical, like pruning trees, it, you don't, it, the conversation doesn't need to be around. Well, um, it's very, dis, it is very distinct because I'm no longer like doing this one thing. Or sometimes it's, um, and I don't mean this, um, in a derogatory way, but it can be a more mindless thing where I'm just kind of routinely doing this, mm-hmm. you know? repetitive task and then I'm out and then I'm it's very clearly not that and I, I'm not taking all of these thoughts with me because I don't yeah. really you know have to that. expend expend all that psychic energy and there's mm-hmm. this thing I was just talking to a friend about today um have you heard of ultradian rhythms no what's that so it's like um you know we have circadian rhythm right like our mm-hmm. daily sort of rhythm mm-hmm. ultradian rhythms are like the little things in between and um, they, it's these cycles that we have throughout the day that are critical to our brain. Everything has it. It's like everything has a rhythm and oscillation. It's mm-hmm. that's what life is. Mm-hmm. And they're about um, ninety to one hundred twenty minutes on average, and they go through these peaks and troughs. And mm. those, those, so let's call them ninety minutes. At the peak of it is like when we're in full flow state, right? We're mm-hmm. completely absorbed. And so we're kind of warming up to that. We get to the top and then there's a falling off. And often that falling off can be accompanied with weariness or stress. Mm. And that's when we need a rest. So we need about a 20 minute rest uh, rest mm. before we can engage again. So we have maybe three really solid peaks, maybe five. If you have mm. a really good, sharp, uninterrupted day. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's as much as we can reasonably expect our minds to actually focus Hmm. in a day and that and i think 
so talking like earlier, it's like acknowledging some of the realities of what it is to be a human. And that's one of them. Like we, mm -hmm. we go in these ebbs and flows. If we're going to de-suckify work, it's, I, I know this is like flogging a dead horse, but it's got people do something about the meetings, do yeah. something, oh get gosh. rid of them. Like <laughs> just be, be scared and have zero for the week. Just try uh -huh. something. Oh my um, gosh. Because they are kill you are not getting the most out of people. People mm -hmm. are not being productive performers. Uh -huh. Right? Um, if you truly want that, do nothing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love, love that. I uh I have definitely been beating that drum for a while, like the the anti meeting. Um, you know, it's it's more like meetings should happen when people want them to when people are drawn to the idea of like i want to talk to somebody else and maybe include somebody else but but we've sort of set an expectation of like that's how work gets done and it's just you know when you when you plot that against what you just described you know we're basically chopping all of those peaks off and saying you're going to spend it doing the exact opposite of what you should be doing just kind of in this mindless meeting instead of experiencing that lift of being in the flow state where you could be creating and, and, and then you're also chopping off all those moments when we need rest and you're mm -hmm. just forcing people into this middle state of just constantly being in this like nowhere land of not really being productive, not being creative and not getting the rest we need, which I, I'm drawn to the idea. And I, I'm picturing this in my head of like some company taking those rhythms and going like, let's, let's connect the way we work to that and let's think about whether each person has some ability to design around that or however something that acknowledges and honors the realities of us as humans um would be wonderful i mean and i think a lot of this then connects to stories that we don't need to get into but people are talking about things like remote work hybrid work and all this and it's like i think it's maybe less important the what of whether you choose remote or in person and more of like how do you give people the opportunity to exist as they should be existing and feel the way they should be feeling and play the way they should be playing wherever they are? And I just think almost nobody's doing that. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. I haven't seen a company. I mean, I know Microsoft actually did a study on meetings not too long ago during the pandemic, I think. Mm -hmm. And some of them were talking about, you know, the real the reality of Zoom fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, because our brains that have a really hard time, this is not that like we're trying to connect with someone. It's like, but what, where do you have feet? What are your hands doing? You know, like, and so it's making all these brains doing all these kind of calculations below our awareness. That's yeah. exhausting. Mm -hmm. So if you have, if you have, let's say you had three zoom calls in a day and you're mm -hmm. just like mentally fatigued and then people are like, okay, now actually do the work. Yeah. Um, I would love to see that it would be super cool. It would be like, we're trying Ultradian rhythm um, quarter where we're just designing yeah. everything around that. This is an experiment. Mm -hmm. We need more experiments in business. I, I would love that. I think again, that, that creating the culture where people can, can live in that versus the culture that is afraid of that. Right. And that, that whole idea that I think we are afraid of change. We're afraid of we're protecting ourselves from that death, right? And I think it comes back mm -hmm. to that. It's like, you need to figure out how to tell a story that allows you to recognize the possibility and joy of stepping into this world of experimentation and curiosity and all that stuff, because that's where these leaps of progress happen 
that that move us forward as individuals, as organizations, as a society, right? I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we should have a like a a journal or a or a day uh, a thing, a little thing, yeah. <laughs> a Substack post or whatever about uh-huh. companies that are leading in this space. If they're uh-huh. like, it'd be fun to dig that up and just like models yeah. of of you know um, aligning to human needs. Mm, and, and really business. Fun. Yeah, God, that would be so fun. I think it's uh I think people are are curious about it, but people are still afraid to step into it. And it's like again, if there's people, including us, who can just help people nudge themselves into that space, I think there'll be really cool stuff that will happen. Um, you know, I think, you know, one of the the questions I, I've thought of that's a good way to start to wrap ourselves up is like, what would a fully Desuckified work world look like if you could wave a magic wand? Like, what would it look like? I think we've been starting to talk about it, but is there anything more that that you mm. can picture that would really make work just like as pure as pure of a good as it could be? Yeah, um, having if if open conversations around emotions, play, um, things like alternating rhythms, integrating more um, experimentation and and the value of, of scientific research into, into business, um, more laughter. I mean, who mm. was it? Uh, oh, um, the CEO of Spanx had mm. her team sign up for stand-up comedy. Oh, nice. Um, right. It's like such a good mm-hmm. challenge and, mm-hmm. uh, that like having that tension between challenge and release tension and release, right. Let's like, mm-hmm. we need both. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think having the conversations around what's going well, um, how are we honoring wellness, um, how are we actually of service, and fewer. How do we transition from the the focus on the sort of myopic focus on uh, shareholder returns type of thing mm-hmm. to an actual genuine focus on human well being. Mm. That's easy. We'll we'll have that figured out by next week, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I love that. I mean, I think that's a, a great vision. And I think it's one that's actually like, it's fairly simple, right? I mean, like, it's all right there. The hard part is, okay, how do we get people to start to open their their hearts and minds to see the experimentation and the the slightly uncertain state that you need to be in and be comfortable with to, to allow those experiments to happen. Um, I think that's, that's the work, right. Is getting people comfortable stepping out just a bit in front of themselves. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like, we can, we best can model what we see or more open to it. It's just like thinking Mm -hmm. about the generation of, people who weren't represented, but still true, right? Like underrepresented people in media, in movies. And that's, we see this big change, mm-hmm. which is super exciting and wonderful. And and then you see younger people saying like, oh, I can be a superhero in a movie mm-hmm. or I can be a doctor or go to the moon mm-hmm. um, astronaut. And mm-hmm. so I think the more we can model and share those stories, the more people will be willing. That's the, the power of storytelling, right? The more yeah. people are willing to go like, oh, that's that's possible for me. And look, somebody did it, so it's not just my fault. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. been done. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, I I think that's a great great 
thought of, of modeling what we want to see and sharing through story and helping people to connect to that and allowing people to see that it's not only possible, but that it's being done. And mm -hmm. you don't have to be this lone pioneer. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of us out here trying to make this stuff happen. Um, you know, you talked a lot about the value of play. And one of the things that, that I've been playing with, um, since I got my tech set up here is sound effects, which, you know, I've always loved sound effects. I've worked in advertising and radio and TV commercials and you play with sound effects and it like creates, it allows these stories to come to life. Um, my tech setup isn't great enough. I haven't been able to play them through Zoom yet. Um, so I'm working on that. But <laughs> but one of the things I'm doing with my setup is I'm creating my own sound effects, like me nice. making sounds, which is largely rooted in the 10 year old inside of me that wants to laugh at fart noises and like cartoon <laughs> sound effects like you know they, there's a sound effect that that goofy like running sound effect before fred flintstone takes off or whatever like all those goofy yeah and then you run off like so one thing i'd love to just ask you and i'm going to try to ask this of every guest that comes on this show is i want to build a desuckified sound effect list that i can then hopefully start to incorporate and just add a little bit of levity and play into the world are there any sound effects that you can make that that we can share with the people who are going to be listening to this and then perhaps even i can even turn it into a sound effect that can be i hit a button and jocelyn's goofy sound effect plays during the next episode you have anything that could work for that i love that so much so first of all i will say i sing like constantly through the day when i'm doing when i'm just like i'm feeding the kitty whatever i'm just this like uh, but one sound I learned in I don't know, grade school or high school, and I think it's so delightful. It's just, I'm just saying a word. Let's see if you can guess. I think I might have spoiled it earlier in a message That's to you, okay. but yeah, I'm just saying a word through, I don't know if anyone is watching this, if you're listening, but it's through yeah. a fist. My pinky's uh -huh. still a little weird, so let's see if I can do it right. But... <laughs> you can make any song with that. Oh my gosh. I, 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 I fear I ruined it with my laughter, but that's okay. Um, but, uh, I, I think you said it was girl. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even understand the physics of how that turns into this delightful mix of the word girl, some kind of muffle muffler, and then like a kazoo. Like, yeah. but that's what it sounds like to me. And, and that's exactly what I was hoping for. Like, I, like I want all of us to feel comfortable, like doing this like sounds when we're working, when we're being like doing important things, just like making these goofy sounds, singing, um, playing. I'm constantly whistling, which is probably annoying to half the world, but I'm a whistler. And that's like part of my thing that keeps my, my spirits going. And I just, I love the idea of encouraging people to just embrace the the goofy stuff we like to do to make ourselves feel more comfortable and have a little laughter. You know, I just think that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's critical. It's like the um, Stuart Brown. Um, if we are to get along, if we have any hope of getting along as a species, it is absolutely critical. We learn to play nearly every single day from birth to death. Mm. I think he's right. And I think that just needs to be something that's like plastered on all of our walls, you know, because it, it's so important 
and yet so easily forgotten as we deal with all of the the hard stuff, which like you said, hard stuff happens. It's always going to happen, but, but the, the, the instinct to, to bring play into our lives that can sometimes be squashed, the more we can unleash that thought, the more the harder stuff, it's not that it, it's not hard, but I think we move through it better. We recover better. And, and then we're able to, to get back to the, the things the creating and the bringing joy into the world, which is hopefully what this is all about. Yeah. Mic drop. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Jocelyn, thank you so much. I am, I'm so excited to have, have you on today. I think we've dug into a lot of fun stuff and um, I love the work that you're doing. Um, so before I go, I want to just give you a chance to like, where can people find you, you know, your website, your, your social media, whatever, what's the easiest way to connect with all the wonderful stuff you're doing? Yeah. JocelynBrady.com, my website. Mm-hmm. Jocelyn Brady on LinkedIn, um, Jocelyn Them, T-H-E-M, uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube, <laughs> Jocelyn Brady, just basically Jocelyn Brady it up. And yeah. I have a Substack now, which is more of kind of personal essay-ish explorations on whatever topic I feel like writing about. Nice. That's awesome. I'm, like, I'm excited for people to discover more of you because I think I think you are exactly the perfect example of what I want to do with this world, this whole Desuckify work thing. I want to bring energetic, curious, excited, enthusiastic voices who have a really unique point of view on how to make the whole life better, but work is such a big part of life. And I think you've got some really cool ideas on how to make that better. And, and then that will make our lives better if we're all enjoying our work. I think, I think things will be better for all of us. So, so thank you, Jocelyn. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see you on LinkedIn and social. And I'll, I just started following your Substack. I saw that the other day. So I'm super excited. Thank you. Thank you. It's a delight to be here today. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, have a good day. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And thanks again to Jocelyn for being an amazing guest. We've got lots more to come in upcoming episodes, so please subscribe to see and or hear the latest. If you think that you or someone you know might make a great guest to have on the show, please reach out and let me know. You can find me on LinkedIn or at thepuddingfactory.net. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can just drop a note down in the comments. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.